Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are starting a rewatch of all of the Star Wars movies and we're going to be doing them in chronological order. We're actually going to try and find the good parts of all of them, talk about some problems we have with them, and then also talk about where they fit into the larger plot narratives of the whole overarching Skywalker Star Wars epic, uh, epic drama. So please follow along with us. Today we are talking about the first of those movies, The Phantom Menace. It's me with Jeff Randall. All that and more after this commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm one of your co-hosts. Joining me as uh, will be for all of these Star Wars uh, rewatches, though we may sometimes have a third person in the seat, is Jeff Randall. Jeff, how are we doing today? Fantastic, sir. How are you? I am pretty good. I'm pretty good. I've been, um, the Clone Wars is fun, Mandalorian's fun, but, you know, for me, the heart and soul of Star Wars is always going to be these movies, and so I'm excited to kind of, to dive into them, um, and especially do it the way we're doing chronologically, where we can really look at, like, each movie in its own merits, but then also talk about, like, how does each movie contribute to the overall story? Yeah, and there's an interesting uh, outlook that we can that we can bring into this discussion, uh, in that this movie, The Phantom Menace, uh, or as I like to call it, the fandom menace. Uh, <laughs> well put. It's, it's, it sits in a unique spot uh, because, you know, I've said before in other, in other shows, um, a, a sequel has a very, uh, an important job and a unique job as far as uh, a movie uh, franchise is concerned. It's the right. one that really sets the tone going forward. It, it's either more you, you of the same. a sequel, right? No, no, no. A sequel. <clears throat> okay, go ahead. It's either more of the same that you've already established in the first one, or you go in a, a direction that's completely different. And this movie holds a unique position even within that in that it starts a sequel trilogy. And, you know, it we call it a prequel because it happens chronologically earlier. But, like, let's be honest, this is a this is a sequel trilogy. It's building out more of the world. Right. Right. And this one movie in particular kicks off that because we have to establish the tone of what happened back then uh, when you know when this movie was set and what direction we want to or the director should uh, you know kind of be wanting to go in and kind of establish the whole tone of of this trilogy if you know you're deciding it has to be a trilogy right up front like right this is the kind of place where you have to establish all of that and lay your foundation I, th I think that's a really good point. And I think because, uh, and we're going to get into the plot summary before we talk about general thoughts, but I want to respond to you on that note. The more I rewatch this movie, the more that I think, if someone told me I'm going to go watch a kid's sci-fi movie that was aimed at, you know, eight-year-olds, but that all adults could enjoy, that was taking place in a science fiction world about a young kid who saves the galaxy, and maybe also those going in some not great directions... I think this would be a fine example of that kind of movie. I think a lot of my problems with the movie are, are the role it is supposed to play uh, in, in the Star Wars, uh, you know, overarching story and the way that it doesn't do that. Um, and I have a, a, a specific idea about that that I'll get to, but let's just start with um, a plot summary. Can you give us a quick summary for those folks who have perhaps want to hear us discuss it, but don't necessarily want to go back and watch two hours of Jar Jar Binks and pod racing again. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it was two hours of Jar Jar Binks and pod racing. You said it. It's right there. It's there done. 
Uh, no, the uh, the movie opens with the the standard crawl. You know, we've we've gotten used to a lot of exposition happening right out of the gate um, in text form that you have to somehow remember while the movie is going on. Um, and then our our protagonists, we'll call them, <laughs> of the movie, our two Jedi knights, uh, find themselves being the uh, the negotiators of a trade agreement or a, a trade dis- dispute to try to break a um, to try to break a blockade uh, around this one planet, and that's kind of the crux of the whole thing. Is that's the the whole thing is how do we break this blockade? And there's negotiation that they try to do, except that nobody wants to negotiate with them. They try to kill them. Our Jedi find ourselves find themselves on the planet that is being blockaded. A lot of stuff happens in in a lot of scenes that end up with our our protagonist meeting with Jar Jar Binks, a very unfortunate addition to the movie, um, some might say, <laughs> uh, and then eventually finding their way through to uh, the the capital of Naboo, uh, which is the planet being, I guess it's the city and the planet. Like, there's no name of yeah. the city. <laughs> That's mildly frustrating. <laughs> Geography is important, yeah. guys. Uh, I think it's actually, um, I know the name specifically because it's referenced in a Weird Al Yankovic song. Um, the, 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 yeah, Thee, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad that you both, we both remembered the name of the city because of Weird Al Yankovic. We went to, so thank you, yeah, Weird we Al. went to Thebe to see the queen. There, there it is. You, you know what I was talking about. Yep. Go on. Yep. <laughs> so they met our queen, Amidala. Very, very fanciful dress. Very fanciful dress. They meet her. Very good hair. (laughs) Yep. Um, She goes through about 15 different costume changes before we actually get off the planet, I think. No, that's that's an exaggeration. I should be nice. Uh, They they escape with the queen to try to get to the Senate to attempt to talk them into doing something. Much like, you know, modern government these days. Um, Yeah. They can't make it there. They get stranded on Tatooine where they have to fix their hyperdrive. And the only guy in the whole freaking planet that can fix the hyperdrive is Watto, who just also happens to have a slave kid who just happens to be Anakin Skywalker. Right. <clears throat> as as Qui-Gon Jinn tells us, it is the will of the force that they meet. Yes. Yeah. We'll we'll say that. It's the will Whatever of the meet. plot that they meet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point out that when we started talking about this, Jeff was concerned that I would be too negative about the movie. No. So please remember with the editorial commentary that he's giving in his plot summary. I was worried that I would be too negative about the movie. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Okay. You're reminding yourself. Yep. And here I am being, being nitpicky. (laughs) Uh huh. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Just tell people what happens. Yep. Yep. So, uh, a wager is made. For the hyperdrive, because Republican credits don't work out here. You know, they're no good here. Um, Only whatever money they have. Sure. Um, A wager is made for the ship against the the hyperdrive. And a lie is made to to say that... To say that Qui-Gon is in possession of the pod racer that Anakin was building in secret. uh, And... With that, like, betting that pod against a slave, if I'm not mistaken, a game of chance 
where yeah. you know they had to pick which slave with a chance cube, aka a d6. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> or not even that as a D2. Yeah. Because <laughs> it had two colors. So six sided dice that's all red and blue. Yeah. Very, sounds like a very, very boring game of chance. Right? <laughs> like it's either one or it's two. <laughs> Whoa, let's go. Human lives are on the line. <laughs> let's go ahead and flip it. <laughs> so that uh, that pod was entered into the race and also used as the collateral in a race that looks like if he didn't win it then the pod would be destroyed anyway so that's a bad bet on Watto's part beside the point Anakin ends up winning <laughs> because he has to because plot um he's our hero right he's our kid hero we're introduced right. to the kid hero in this in this part of the tale uh once they get the hyperdrive and get it installed they make their way to the boring part of the movie i mean so the to Coruscant where it's all Senate discussion and talking in the Jedi Council and the plot slows down a lot here. Uh, but before they before they leave planet, before they leave Tatooine, uh, Qui-Gon has his first run-in with the uh, the new Sith, uh, maybe not Master, whatever, Darth Maul. And we've been hinting at Sidious through pretty much the entire movie. Like, anybody who watches Star Wars enough knows exactly who this character is knows like you know him when you see him and you have a, a finger point moment of don't trust that guy but right. they're trusting of that guy and uh, it's gonna go downhill but we know that which i i did realize I, i've always wondered about this like obviously i the minute we re- meet um senator palpatine i of course know that he's actually darth Sidious as well um most people do but I've talked to a number of people for whom this was their first Star Wars movie they saw as a kid and whose parents, I guess, had done a good job of, of you know, protecting them from that. And they said they had no idea. So I, I was like, OK, so actually they did kind of pull that off for some people. That, that, that's, a, that's a positive note. Well, yeah, they, um, they pulled it off for the people who hadn't seen Star Wars at all. Right. Exactly. So uh, go, go on. <laughs> anyway, so they they do the Senate thing. The Senate is the Senate pushes back. There's a, a call for new leadership. Guess who? Senator Palpatine is getting put into that space. Anyway, then Queen Amidala says, this is taking too long. Let me go fight. (laughs) And they go back to Naboo to fight, taking Jar Jar along with them, where Jar Jar has to... Jar Jar has to find the Gungan people and where whatever location they have hidden out... Uh, in their holy place so that they can rally those guys into a fight that they, uh, I would say that they have no part of, but it's their planet. So they absolutely have to, you know, they have to step up right. if they want to not be enslaved uh, or trade agreemented, whatever. <laughs> what are the, what are the stakes of this trade yeah. agreement? Anyway, we have no idea. We have no idea. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting more frustrated as I talk about it. <laughs> That's very fair. That's very fair. So <laughs> they rally the Gungans while there's a secret mission going on with Amidala infiltrating the um, infiltrating her own palace and taking over the city uh, right. while Anakin oopses his way into flying into space and uh, apparently. A course was already set, the coordinates were already laid in, and he was taken to uh, the the point that was controlling all of the droids, which 
Again, like super convenient. I don't know why you wouldn't have a backup, but that's beside the point. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to mention having, like, Star Wars apparently now believes that the only way to destroy a major ship is by having some kind of uh, power reactor where there's a big globe on top of a little globe. And that you always have to knock the, t- the big globe into the small globe to set off a reaction to yeah. destroy the whole ship. Yeah. Now, why that reactor is directly accessible by lasers from the main hangar where lots of ships hang out, potentially firing lasers, is a little bit of a question to me. Uh, but, I mean, that's but, just, that's architecture. That's a bad architecture. Yeah, that's some real bad architecture. I mean. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I think that's a good plot summary, though. It kind of gives us a good full idea of all that happens. Um. Let's talk about general thoughts. And I think I think it's pretty clear already that, that we both have a lot of negative things to say about the movie. And, and I think I can find some positives. Yep. I think, though, that in this watch, though, I, for the first time, truly understand what is the heart and soul of my problem with this movie. And it's my heart and soul with all of the, all of the prequels, really. And for me, it comes down to this. This story, as you, the reason I, I think it's important that it's a prequel, not a sequel, is a sequel can take where we started... And go in any direction. Yes. But a prequel, we know where it has to end. And it has to tell us how we got to the point that we were in with the movies that we loved already. So that's already a hard thing to do. And I'll acknowledge it's a hard thing to do. Especially when we've had literally, like, I think it was 17 years in between these two. In between Return of the Jedi and um, uh, Phantom Menace. And a lot of, you know, fan nostalgia is built up. I know for me... You know, I'd watch these movies as a kid. I was super excited to see Phantom Menace. Also part of why I was so disappointed by it. But here's the key, I think, is that the prequels had to do two things that are both more complex and more nuanced stories than anything that Star Wars has told before. It has to tell us the story of the decline of the Republic and the decline of the Jedi and why they were able to be corrupted so easily by Palpatine. And it also had to show us the decline and fall of Anakin Skywalker, and how someone who started out as such a heroic kid could slowly, over time, be seduced by the dark side. Those are very complicated and somewhat adult stories. Not that they have to have, like, nudity and cursing, but they're not PG. I mean, they they involve a good deal of complexity and nuance, that you don't get into if you have a battle or a pod race every 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think they needed, like in the same way that like the Netflix Marvel shows went a lot deeper into complex issues than some of the movies have gone, um, you know, for the same kind of reason. Like you can, it's a different medium. You can go there in a different way. But Lucas made a conscious decision to say, I want these prequels to be specifically aimed at kids. I want them to be even more kid friendly than the original movies were kid-friendly and deep exploration of nuance and complexity <laughs> don't work. They, and, and for they me, certainly I think don't mesh. I, I think that's the fundamental problem because you talked about how boring the scenes on Coruscant were. To me, those scenes are the heart and soul of the movie. They should they have, have been. To be. Yeah, that's what everything should be about. And it could have been like interesting diplomatic maneuvering back and forth. You could have had some fighting here and there, you know, uh, you know, if that's the place for a, a lightsaber battle between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon, you know, you, you, it doesn't have to just be two hours of uh, negotiations. Like, um, you know, people have heard me on uh, talk with you guys about the MCU on superhero ethics have heard like, 
I think Marvel Civil War, which is two hours of diplomatic wrangling over how to write the Sokovia Accords, I want to see that movie. Most people don't. I get that. Um, <laughs> but but I think that this movie had to go into so much more nuance. It had to have so much more complexity. And you just can't do that with a kid's movie. You can't. I mean, well, actually, and let me rephrase that. You can do it with something that seems like it's aimed at kids. Um, Avatar The Last Airbender is a TV show that is ostensibly on the surface a kid's show, but it doesn't try to dumb it down for kids. You know, there is no Jar Jar Binks anywhere in Avatar The Last Airbender. Avatar The Last Airbender says we're going to talk to kids, but we're going to talk to them about very complex, very nuanced issues in ways they can understand. Uh, Shira, another of my favorite TV shows, does the exact same thing. And I feel like Lucas had no interest in doing that. And that's, for me, that that's the most damning thing about this movie and all three of the prequels is it means, therefore, that the point of them is completely lost. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember when this came out, I was I was in the demographic for yeah. for this movie. I mean, it was, what, I mean, 1999? Yeah, you're only a couple of years younger than me, right? Yeah, I was in I was in middle school when this movie came out. So okay, it's a little more than that. Yeah, like for me, this was um, the night it opened was the day of our last final exam, the year I graduated college. Okay. So this was like the, the way we yeah. So so we were different ages, but we we're both very similar. Yep. So, you know this this movie was it was for me. It was it was made for yeah. me. It was written for me. It was aimed at me, and I ate it up. I ate the shit up. And yeah. then, and then as I grew up and, and I went back and watched it again, I was like, man, this was, this was not great. This was not yeah. great at all. And <laughs> I went back and watched it a couple of days ago in preparation for this, for this episode we're doing here. And I was like, God, what, what did PG do like yeah. to offend the FCC or whoever? <laughs> like, Wow, my God, because I went back and looked, uh, you know, they're all on Disney Plus. So I was just like scan through, check the rating, you know, uh, A New Hope, Empire and and Return. All three are PG. But yeah. like a man gets his arm cut off in the first yeah. one. There's blood on the floor. Like that's yeah. kind of a it's a more uh, PG-13 type of thing. And we then find in, out a dude kissed his sister. Right, right. <laughs> like these are <laughs> these are a little bit more advanced than than right. what we got. And then in this movie and in Attack of the Clones, they're also PG, but they were PG of the nineties. And if yeah. you remember, the nineties had a huge push to like clean things up for kids and mm-hmm. and make things a lot more kid friendly, you know, in air quotes. And kids depending on the age and depending on the maturity of the child, like everybody's, everybody's unique, but kids for the most part can handle complex messages. You just have to word it right. And that's where, that's where I think that avatar, the last airbender comes in. Yes. It was, you know, a decade later that it came out or whatever, but it's still something that is, it's still something that's kid friendly, but also addresses those complex issues, but it also does it, across several seasons of show and you can't really do that sort of thing. Like you have to make it slow for kids because they have to, to take it in little bites and a little bit at a time and then, you know, take it in, address it and, and figure out what a word means or, you know, anything like that. Like, Oh man. Yeah. My, my 11 year old was like, what does turmoil mean? I was like, 
Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I almost wish that, and again, maybe this is, today it seems like we can make as many Disney movies as we want. I understand that back then they didn't know this. But I feel like if Lucas had said, you know what, I want to make a Star Wars that's able to bring in the new generation of kids. And I, I realized I was incorrect there. You and I are not the same director. I, I misunderstood what you were saying. You were very much not the same demographic because I grew up on the first generation of movies. You grew up on this one. Right. Uh, and thank you for clarifying that. Um, but if Lucas had said, you know what, I want to make a set of Star Wars movies that's to bring kids back in, and we're going to dumb it down even more than the original ones, that's fine. And maybe I'll watch those movies, and maybe I don't. Like, the first, the Clone Wars animated movie was that, and that's fine. I don't like that movie, but oh, there you go. God. Um, we are going to watch it, though. Um, oh, don't make but, me. <laughs> um, but, um, but... But to do that for the prequels just seemed utterly wrong. And I, I think we're at this point, we should, we should probably move on because we just keep repeating that thought. But Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about some character arcs. Um, and let's start with the one who was, I think, going to be the most important, you know, literally the, the character is the most important over the first six movies. Um, Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh. Yes. Anakin Skywalker. Um, what's your kind of take on his plot arc? He doesn't have one in this movie. Yeah. He, he honestly does not. Like... He is a slave. He gets freed. The plot happens to him. Literally everything happens to him. He does not have a choice in anything that he does. See, here's where, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm always in danger of overhead cannoning. I know that. And I'm always in danger of giving writers too much credit. But that part, I think, actually is kind of, is, is what the story needed to do. That's the point because of it? I think, <laughs> yeah, because I think part of it is that Anakin is this spoiled little kid. That Anakin is this person, like, you know, there's lots of great psychology stuff about how the people who are told since they're a very young age that they're special and gifted and prodigal and all this stuff wind up having massive emotional problems when they grow up. Not all of them. I'm, I'm sure hope many of our listeners are that category, and I'm not meaning to impugn you, but that many do. Um, I know I certainly, uh, it sounds like a humble brag. I was not told as a prodigy, but I was given a lot of praise as a kid. Same. And, and and I, I had to wrestle later with like, am I, am I, what do you mean these are responsibilities? What do I mean? Am I, am I, am I not living up to that potential? And I feel like Anakin by the second and third movies really does have a sort of like, I can do no wrong kind of attitude. I don't have to listen to anybody else attitude. And I do think he gets some of that from this. So that's the one positive thing I can say. I will say, um, now to be clear, uh, cause I think. Like many fandoms, but I think Star Wars gets a little bit more of a reputation of having a toxic fandom. I think we have a small part of our fandom that is toxic, but it is also very, very loud and has been very loud about things that people really cared about. And and I think that's entirely unacceptable. And I, I don't want to just say here, I think that the, the portrayal of Anakin is not what I'm all interested in watching. I don't think there's any reason to blame an eight-year-old actor or a 12-year-old actor, whatever Jake Lloyd was, for this performance. No. You have a child actor that's entirely dependent. First of all, the writing is just absolute hot garbage. Um, but also, <laughs> like, uh, but also, I mean, a good director can get a child actor. The, the fact that that director looked at the performance that child actor did and said, that's fine, let's put that on screen, that tells me that it's 100% the director's fault, not the actor's. So oh, absolutely. I just want to say, let's not start a, a, a Jake Lloyd bash fashion. Um, but it, you're right, it is. It, did you get really creeped out watching him kind of like a little boy flirt with, um, you know, like telling Padme that she looks like an angel and all of this, knowing where they wind up? It was a little weird. Yeah. Like, I, I remember, you know. <laughs> Dude, the, you're nine. 
Yeah. Like, you what? Like, to me, a nine-year-old boy saying that to a teenage girl, I think, is actually totally understandable. For the teenage girl to later, like, fall into bed with him 20 years later seems really creepy to me. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, you know, if someone was my babysitter when I was 15 and, and when they were 15 and I was nine, I probably would have, like, a little crush on them in the way a nine-year-old boy does where he doesn't understand anything. That also sets up a dynamic between us that makes it really creepy if we ever get together 20 years later. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a fair point there, sir. That's a fair yeah. point. Um, there you go. There you go. Boys, don't 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 date your former babysitters. Yeah, yeah. I oh, you know, I I think I think a lot of the issue with it, like you know, we talked about the the PG rating having a a, ne- a detriment on it. I think the build up to this movie was probably the worst offender uh, in yeah. in how this came to be because it wasn't just us. It wasn't just your expectation of what this movie was going to be that that got built up over that time. If you saw, if you looked at the end credits, the first thing that shows up is written and directed by George Lucas. That is the only name on writing and directing. This one guy had control of this whole property for decades that he was just sitting on stewing. And it, like, after watching it again, like, I don't think he bounced any of these ideas off of anybody. He was just like, I know what's good for this world. Let me make this. I think there's something that happens to creators where uh, actually I, I know someone who is a professional editor who's told me this definitely happens um, where you get popular enough that, that you think you don't need an editor anymore yeah. and where you're so <laughs> big that editors don't feel comfortable saying, I don't want to publish this. You know, I think George R.R. R. Martin, I think is a fantastic writer for whom the editors stop doing their jobs around book four and that book four and five are really hurt by that. Um, and I think you're exactly right. No one was sitting down with Lucas and saying like, Jar Jar Binks is coming off as kind of racist. And these, <laughs> the whole these, Gungan tribe. Yeah. As are these like Asian super stereotypical traders and oh, God. the merchant with a huge nose and a kind of Jewish accent. Like, you know, and, and the kid actor doesn't make sense. And yeah. Anyway, let's, 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 uh, I, I let, let's go to another, uh, um, well, let's just talk about actually the, the, the discussion about, and this kind of gets into Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's journey, but I think it's mostly about Anakin. What's your kind of take on the whole discussion about whether or not he should be trained as a Jedi? I, I mean, so the discussion surrounding that is all centered in and based on an established way of doing things that the Jedi Order has. The problem is we're never shown what that looks like in the normal sense. We're not, not even not shown. We're not even, it's not even described. Like there's no, there's no point where Yoda or Mace Windu or Ki-Adi Mundi or fucking Plo Koon, like anybody who was in that room, like there's no point where any of them are like, you know, that the, the maximum age limit is three, right? Like, right. there's none of that. They just say he's too old. Like, okay, but what does that actually mean? Is he too mature? Has he has he seen too much? Like, would the Mandalorian as a child not have been a good candidate because he saw too much too much pain? Like, right. is it that he's just aged too much? Like, is it a physical thing? 
Like, yeah. what is it about him that makes him too old to go into this training? And what yeah. what repercussions would there be that you have seen in the past that makes you say this? And I think they kind of hint at it because they are saying, like, because he already has this strong attachment to his mother and the fear he has. But you're right, because of the fact they never portray it, they never discuss it in any way. And there's just so much that doesn't make sense about it. Like, they say that... At one point, Qui-Gon Jinn says that, like, you know, if Anakin had been born on not an Outer Rim territory planet, then the Jedi would have identified him. Yep. Now, what that means is... The they Jedi would have taken him identify... away from his mother. Right. Which, okay, that sounds like a Chinese, like a Chinese gymnastics pro... Or, you know, I shouldn't sing about <laughs> Chinese. Like, a lot of folks have done that. But it sounds like, you know, one of those horrible, like, you know, take the kid away at a very young age. I mean, Hollywood does that, too. Um, but, yeah, that sounds creepy enough. But, but what I'm getting at is Anakin can't be the only Force-sensitive kid being born in the Outer Rim territories. We have seen people from other Outer Rim planets who become Jedi. Um, so how, you know, what happens to all of them? <laughs> like, what <laughs> happens to, you know, when, when Windu says, like, we know he's incredibly powerful in the Force, but we don't want to train him. Do you want to just give him a one-way ticket to the Sith? Like, <laughs> what do you think this eight-year-old is going to do and say, well, I have all these force powers, but yeah, I didn't get trained in them, so I'll just stop controlling people's minds and having great combat reflexes. Um, and especially in front of him, in front yeah. of the kid. Like, you never talk shit about the kid in front of the kid. Yeah. That's just, that's parenting, you know? Well, And here's again where... If I headcanon hard, I, I think they are trying to imply something, and, and that I think Last Jedi actually answers, to jump ahead to a different movie, which I know is very controversial, but I, I think what they were trying to do is to say the Jedi Council is wrong. Like, the Jedi, that this whole idea of taking kids away from their mother at a young age is wrong, um, and that this is the, the part of the Jedi that's fundamentally broken, especially because... We've already seen a Jedi become a Jedi at 19 and do a very good job of being a Jedi. His name yep. was Luke. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think that that's what's, I think that's what they're trying to set up. And I think the TV show, The Clone Wars, definitely makes that clear. But they just do such a bad job of it. Like you said, they don't, re they don't explain it and they never give us a point of view character saying, maybe you're wrong, that we have no idea if the writers think this is a great thing. Yeah, the... The the point of view character who says the Jedi Council is wrong doesn't even say that, like, he doesn't outright say the Jedi Council is wrong. It's Qui-Gon. And right. his thing is not they're wrong. It's, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> that's that's so against what they're doing. And then you've got his his own uh, his own apprentice, his own Padawan that's just like, hey, man, um, you know, you could be on the council by now if you weren't such a dick to them. <laughs> Which also to me, and this is another one of the fundamental flaws, I think, of the movie. You know, again, we have to get to a certain place. Yeah. One of the places we have to get to is where Obi-Wan is telling Luke that I was arrogant. And in my hubris, I thought I could train Anakin on my own without the help of someone like Yoda, but I was wrong and I take responsibility for why Anakin fell. Yeah, man, it takes a village. We know this. Yeah, but that doesn't, <laughs> that's not what happens here. 
According to this, it's Qui-Gon who does that. And Obi-Wan only does it not out of arrogance, not out of hubris, not out of his own belief, but out of a promise to his dying master. And, you know, I, I noticed something that I I don't think it's I don't think it's canon, but it's fun to it's fun to think it. Um, whenever Qui-Gon was dying, he touched Obi-Wan on the cheek and then like his hand came down. But he had his two fingers up in his normal Jedi mind trick kind of hand motion. <laughs> and a a sound, like an, an audible signal was given for something. It was like a woof sound right then. And I was like, did he just mind trick Obi-Wan into training Anakin? <laughs> that that would be... I have very great trouble <laughs> believing that that was intentional. But that's a headcanon that works because maybe... Obi-Wan was mind-tricked into thinking that he was the arrogant one. Yep. It, it makes his scene with Luke completely different. Doesn't it? More it just wrecks the whole franchise. Oof. <laughs> There's another bit of headcanon that I've heard that I actually really like. And I I think someone said that like they were debating putting this into one of the movies. That, like, that someone in Lucasfilms thought this was uh, part of it. Or someone in Disney by the time they were making the, the postquels. Uh, thought this should be added somewhere, but maybe it's complete headcanon, I don't know. But it was the idea that the way they were going to kind of retcon the midichlorians was to say, you know, the Jedi were basically a religion that was built around this faith, and that part of the problem with them, part of why they fall, is they became too rigid, they became too locked in their structures, and they started to think that they could scientifically understand the Force. And so they had this whole scientific theory of midichlorians, which was like kind of like the the evangelicals who try to like come up with scientific equations to prove God. Oh know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, that would make total sense if that's you know. But but that's the thing is like so much of the understanding of this movie only works if you think this is all through the eyes of an unreliable narrator, and the movie never tells you that it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is all told by a child who wasn't there for most of it. Right. And um. Okay. <laughs> And, and, Let, let's, sorry. Let's go to another character arc. Uh, what's your take on Palpatine? I don't have a take on like, Palpatine. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Eh. I don't feel like I know what he wants. Like I know what he, I know he wants power, but like, do you think he wanted the droids to capture Naboo, or or did he always want Naboo to win because it would help to, but that the conflict would set up the situation where he was in power? I don't think he cared. Uh, yeah, because all of that, all of that was just a pawn in his ploy to get to the the point of Chancellor, and mm. once he's got that, then Naboo's and its conflict has run its course. He doesn't care anymore, right? And, and I, because it has no, it has no, uh, no consequences, no stakes in the overall arcing plot. You know, as far as the Senate is concerned. Like, once right. the conflict on Naboo is done, that's it. Yeah. I I just, I wish we'd had something about that. Because you do see, when Sidioth is talking to the Neomodians, he does frequently say, like, how frustrated he is and how he wants this all to be to be changed. <laughs> and and I, I think you're right that I think that's kind of an act, that he doesn't really care. But we never actually see that in any way. Yeah, you know? we're, we're I, given a bad... And, you know, honestly, he doesn't even... He doesn't even portray himself as bad in this movie like we don't know we don't find out that he's bad until later on so you know he needs to to keep up the act of looking like he cares 
Right. Well, yeah, I, I, and I also mean like, but we're also seeing him as Sidious, you know? Yeah. Um, like I don't know what Sidious. I don't I have no idea what Sidious's plot is here. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that. I think, I think it's interesting to see that he's good at these kind of machinations. I think it's, it's helpful to see that he's kind of like, you know, he's playing three dimensional chess while the Jedi are playing checkers. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just, it's again, it's, it, it's so badly done. Well, it's time to cut some robots in half. A lit, lit, lit. You know, Rod, like, I, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that those are like, that's the action of the movie and that's the, the exciting part, but it shouldn't be. And it honestly, it shouldn't have happened with such, uh, such frequency. Like, I think that there was more lightsaber use in this one movie than all of the original trilogy combined. Well, I think you're probably right, but I think there's two, two things there. One is I think like they fundamentally changed what lightsabers are in the original movies. Lightsabers are basically claymores. You know, you have two people standing fairly solidly on two feet, swinging these heavy two handed weapons at each other. Yep. Um, in this movie, you have martial arts, dance, martial artists dancing around each other with what seem to basically be rapiers or even like foils, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's here where I feel conflicted because I feel like that doesn't fit Canon. But I do feel like it's much, it's a lot more fun to watch. And I think you're right that there's a little bit too much of it. But also for me, I mean, I think the highlight of the movie is the duel of the fates. I think that lightsaber battle is one of the best we've ever gotten in Star Wars. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, after Qui-Gon gets stabbed and it's just Obi-Wan. Because that, like, the double block that he does behind his back and then bringing it down in front of him to block it in the front of him. Like yeah. from the two blades, like, oh, it's masterful. The choreography is, is so good there. But then like the whole rest of the movie with the lightsaber fights is just like, oh, let's cut some droids in half. If I swing my lightsaber, then the animators will make it look like uh, I deflected yeah. a laser blast back into a robot or into a different robot. Yeah. I, certainly lightsabers against non-lightsaber users. I think that that is I, I was thinking just of like lightsaber duels against other people, lightsabers, but you're right. Those scenes are completely boring yeah. um, and kind of pointless. Well, there's no uh, stakes. We know that they're going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's the problem with a prequel in general. And that's part of why, and we'll get to it more when we get to it. Rogue One is far and away my favorite prequel. Oh, absolutely. We know that the plans get out, but we don't have no idea what happens to any of the other characters. <laughs> um, uh, and I won't spoil the ending, but I'll just say that the ending, it, like, I, I didn't know what would happen in the ending because in a way I did with the prequels. Um, I, I will also just say though about Darth Maul, do you know the story about how that actor got cast? Of how Ray Park got cast? Yeah. No. So Ray Park was a fight choreographer. Yeah. And he was teaching him how to do it. And so he was playing the part of Darth Maul in the fights, like as he was teaching, um, uh, Liam Neeson and, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor, and eventually people were just like, why don't we just have him play Darth Maul? Oh, that's <laughs> kind of like the Gerard Butler doing his own singing in Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, and and apparently there was, uh, at one point, he was not going to have any written dialogue, which I he was just never going to say a word, which oh, I think would have made him so much more imposing and scary. It would have, um, but I would have felt so bad for Ray Park. Like, in when in this watch, I was, <laughs> I paused it at one point, I, was, I looked at the kids and I was like, guys, did you see what happened? Like, that was like a minute of a scene that guy had one line and that was it 
He said, yes, my master. And that was it. That's all he said. But he had to show up at like 6 a.m. to get started on makeup (laughs) and sit in the chair for like nine hours just to say that one line and go home. Well, but that's my point is I feel like he does so much more than give that line. I think his just imposing presence is so powerful that that I feel like almost the the things he speaks take away from that. Um, Yeah. Mm, I mean, but... I think I can see it being annoying for the actor for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's it's that that being a physical actor thing is a is a problem you know or being a yeah. stunt actor is is a problem because like they don't want to give you lines because you might screw it up. Uh, but you know if if he had no lines, it would be imposing only because like it would be imposing in retrospect only because we know how much of a badass he is at the end of the movie. Because mm-hmm. we don't really see him being any sort of a badass at the beginning or in his first fight, like on Tatooine. Like, we don't see him. Like, he has a little bit oh, of a skiff. Oh, I thought, like, every time he appears, I thought he was such a like, imposing, interesting presence. Yeah, he's he's this dark, broody, you know, shadowy, robed <laughs> figure that also has crazy face paint and horns coming out of his head. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... That's an imposing visage to have in front of you. But like without without knowing that he can back that up, I wouldn't think anything of him. Interesting. Okay. We had a very different reaction to him then, but I can I can see yeah. that too. Um let's keep moving on. Um best and worst moments. And start with the best. We have to find some. There has to be a best moment. I mean I think I just named one, the duel of the fates. I think it's um Yeah, yeah, that was And it's unfortunate that it is inter intercut with two of the worst battle scenes that we ever had in star wars um the ridiculous gungan droid fight and the you know star starship fight but <laughs> just the the pacing the choreography the set you know i mean as often as often happens with these if you really think about it you're like why in the world does that set exist anywhere <laughs> like uh especially in like the the Nabooian capital um but it's but it was just wonderfully done it was it was intense it was scary um Qui-Gon Jinn is the only person you do have real stakes for because you, you you know that he doesn't he isn't still around by the end of these three movies, but you don't know if he's going to make it to the second one. Um, <laughs> Could have at and, least brought him to the second one. Come on. And, and well, it's, you know, um, you know, it, it was done so subtly because, again, I think the PG rating, the scene of Darth Maul falling and then his body coming apart is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, that was real solid on the uh, on the effects work there. Yeah. Uh, and. Especially for spoiler things to happen. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, for where he comes back. Yeah, he comes back. Um, what's uh, what's another best moment for you? I think honestly, I think a, a best moment is there being a Jedi Council and Yoda mm-hmm. being on it. Because yeah. throughout the first, like the first three movies, the the original trilogy, all we're told is that you know the the Jedi Order is dead. It's long ago. You know that's you know that's a long dead thing. And then we get shown. I don't want to say immediately, but like at the beginning of Act Two of this movie, or you know this one probably has a five act structure. I haven't thought about it too much, but it, you know when they get to to Coruscant, like we see. Coruscant we see 
the Jedi Council. We see more than one freaking Jedi on the screen at the same time. And it's crazy. It's crazy to think, like, all of these guys are badasses. Like, think of what this room could do as far as power. (laughs) And then to know that all of these guys, in some way, get wrecked. (laughs) And, like, within Mm -hmm. the next 30 years, they're gone. Yeah, and it's a powerful moment. Like, I I did, like, as clumsy as it was, and as, as I think they could have done it so much better... It was really great to see all those things, you know, to see Coruscant, to see the Senate, to see these things and to start having some of that world building be done. Yeah. Even though I thought it could have been done so much better. Um, the to, And to me, I think my other really great moment is that um, I, I know, you know, you've heard me argue with uh, our friend Matt Carroll about this, but I, I feel like the Star Wars movies have incredible ethical depth to them. And for me, a lot of that's because of the Jedi training and Jedi ideals. Yep. And I, I think that <clears throat> while what he says, while what Yoda says in Empire and Return of the Jedi is great, in this movie he does say what I think becomes a sort of most emblematic line of that philosophy. You know, fear, uh, anger, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Um, which I, I just think is like there's so much truth in the idea of like, that anger can take you too far and can take you like that, that your that fear leads to anger. I think that's so true. You know, like think about so many of the, like what we see as hateful political movements in our country, you know, racism, uh, anti-immigrant, like whatever it is, it's almost always driven by fear, you know? Yeah. And I, and so that one line, I, I, I always have to remember that like probably my, maybe one of my favorite lines in all of star Wars comes from this movie that I otherwise can't stand. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, so, so what are worst moments? Uh, literally every time Jar Jar is on the screen. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not just that he's racist, though. It's definitely that, but it's also just he's just unpleasant, and it's just I don't want to watch someone win a win a battle by prat falling. Like that's not interesting to me. That's yeah. That that's to me the kind of thing that would make me like I I watch shows like Avatar because it doesn't do that because that that doesn't feel like. Um, a kid's show it feels it feels like dumbing down to where it's like parents you don't have to watch this this is just for kids yep you know what would have been really great is if instead of instead of him oopsing his way through the entirety of the movie if he actually like grew a little bit and it became or, or even if it got exposed as like it's not him just being clumsy you know, he's he's got this calculated approach and like things just happen in his favor or, you know, whatever the case may be. What I don't think that things happening in his favor is necessarily the right way to go because he electrocuted himself in the freaking face. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but like if he if he grew a bit and actually like had a plan, you know, even even a quick in the moment, like in this battle, quick plan on the fly and then we see some growth in that his plan worked, you know, it, it had a, it had a solid foundation a beginning and end and like all the steps in it. And then it actually did end up working. And maybe he did a little bit of improv improv in the middle of it, but ultimately his plan, his plan pays yeah. off and he gets respected because of it. Not just like I oops my way around the battlefield until somebody else turns off the robots. Yeah. Especially because 
one of the overarching themes in Star Wars has always been, and like George Lucas talked about this a lot in terms of his like feelings on Joseph Campbell and like the, the power of myth, the battle of, you know, nature and man against machine, you know, and that this was in the 70s when like, uh, you know, looking back on it, it looks like incredible that they thought there was any sort of technology at all back then. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, that was when computers were really starting to enter, you know, public life, you know, not just like for the government or scientists. Um, and, and machine, you know, factories and machines were taking people's jobs was the perception. Um, and I think they're like, it, it's a big idea, you know, and like Luke against Darth Vader is man against, and, and our Anakin inside Darth Vader, it's man against machine. And the Ewoks is, you know, nature against machines. And so to have that same like nature against machines and have nature get its butt so thoroughly kicked, um, let, let me, um, in terms of other worst moments, I'm, I'm curious, as you were that dark demographic, what was your thought on the pod race scene when you first saw it? And what was your thought on it now? Okay. When I first saw the pod race scene, I thought it was awesome because this is a, a high energy, presumably high stakes, you know, action sequence. And right. even this time watching it again, I was like, you know, this is actually not a bad idea. Like this is a pretty cool thing that they're that they're doing. Like this, not only does it does it like kind of provide uh, a look into Anakin and his reaction time, you know why they think that he might actually be uh, a Force user or you know strong with the Force. Like he's got the reflexes of a pilot. Whatever. Like it shows his mechanical prowess. It you know it sets up his character later to be a pilot and working on droids and whatever. But like, even so, it builds out the world and and adds in like, of course, there's going to be this form of entertainment on this backwater planet of racing. It's this Matt. Sorry, Matthew. Matthew, this is dirt bikes. That's what this is. This is a dirt bike race in freaking West Virginia. You know, (laughs) like that's what's going on here. And it, it fleshes out that world and shows that there's other people not like not just people in a cantina, but like other people who also have goals. Sebulba yeah. wants to, you know, be the big racer. Like that's a big thing. We both know that that doesn't mean shit in the grand scheme of things as far as Star Wars goes, but like he's got his goals and he's yeah. there doing it. <sighs> I'm I'm frustrated that like there was such there were like these ideas, these like little flights of fancy where there were sparks of a really great idea for world building. And then it was just executed so poorly. You know, you know, what we need if only someone had a podcast that was all about taking a movie where there was like a really good core idea and then trying to see if they could rebuild that movie in a better way to say, like, here's the movie that it could have been. Man. Do you think there's a, there's a podcast anywhere out there like that? I know that there is a podcast like that, and I'm scared <laughs> at the prospect of this movie. <laughs> for, for those who are wondering, Jeff has actually just started a prospect like that, and I'm trying to push him to, to have me on to do one of these movies. Um, but, but yeah, I, 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 that to me is a very helpful perspective, because I will admit, I hate every single moment of the pod race scene. I resent it. Okay. Um, because for me... A, I think, like, I didn't have that sense of childlike wonder watching it. Um, and, and action, in, in general, fight scenes are not normally my bag. And and in this one, I had absolutely no doubt that Anakin was going to win. Um, and I think there are parts of it that are, that the animation's good, but it's so clearly CGI that I just, I never got into it. I never felt exhilarated by it. Yeah. Um, 
But I think part of it is just because I'm like, wait, guys, guys, we, we need to get to Coruscant. Why are you wasting 20 minutes showing me this utterly meaningless race? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I just I, I think I knew that it had been so built up. And I just I remember every time I read about it, I was like, but why? Why are you why are you putting that in in a movie that's about different things? Um, <laughs> and, and again, I think if this had been a a different movie about like, you know, what if, you know, here wasn't a brilliant thing. What if 50, you, you, the first prequel movie is set 50 or 100 years before um, the Anakin Skywalker story begins? Finally, finally, about, we're, we're, we're getting to the thing that I've been wanting to say for so damn long. Because okay, you've been well, saying that the prequels need to do this and they don't. They don't need to do it. It's only because we were told that they were going to do Anakin Skywalker. They don't need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. If the prequel hadn't been an Anakin Skywalker movie, they don't have to be. You're totally right. But, like, do you remember the... I don't know if you're old enough, but do you remember the marketing campaign for this movie? I don't. I was not very uh, uh, aware <laughs> at the time. Yeah, that, that's totally fine. Um, one of the most... Um, the poster that I remember seeing up all over the place and that all my friends were talking about had a picture of Jake Lloyd... Uh, a picture of, you know, the young Anakin Skywalker mm -hmm. and the shadow he was casting was very clearly the shadow of Darth Vader. Mm. And like that poster says, come watch the Anakin Skywalker story. Because you're right. If they had done a prequel, that was just we're going to start you by by telling showing you a movie that tells you about life in the Republic and tells you about the Jedi. Build because the galaxy. it's about an eight year old kid who no one figured out could be a Jedi until he was discovered on this planet called Tatooine, then yeah, throw in the pod race. That's a great scene. And give us a great movie. And it can be a kid's movie. And it's fine. And it has to plant some seeds for what the, you know, Anakin story will do. But it doesn't have to do all the stuff that we want it to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, this this would be... Okay, What we're what we're looking at just to give you a little taste of of what we did on <laughs> on Monday morning movie medics we're looking at probably three distinct stories that we would have to break this up into we're looking at Anakin growing up we're looking at the fall of the republic and we're looking at um no not even the fall of the republic we're looking at establishing the republic and uh, how trade agreements freaking work and right. why well, why trade agreements or why a trade federation has power against a sovereign nation that's a totally different story though like yeah. we're like we're saying we've got and and maybe let's keep the stories about financial bureaucracy and the stories for kids kind of separate separate yeah <laughs> so we got that one we got Anakin growing up and and living in uh, on Tatooine in the the backwater area, you know, it could it could even be it it could start and end with him still being a slave under Watto. And then we get where this movie wants to be and start it with, you know, start it with where we where we are. Uh where we have this where we have this established trade federation doing a bad thing against the sovereign nation and it being okay. Uh, and where we've got a, a backwater planet that we, you know, have seen what happens on backwater planets 
And then we can eliminate the pod race because the pod race is there to establish that Anakin can be a fighter pilot. That's all it's for. Yeah. We can, we can eliminate that, trim the movie down a little bit and get a tighter plot of the beginning of the fall of the Republic. Yeah. Especially because, and this is, this is, and again, it's a timeline quibble, but it goes to like what Matt is always talking about, about, you know, that, that deep, deep continuity. Um, because here's another one. When when I watch the the <clears throat> when I watch the A New Hope that movie, and I hear Obi Wan and Anakin talking about the Jedi, and I watch you know the Imperial officer tell Darth Vader that no one still believes in that you know centuries old <clears throat> forgotten religion of the Force that Darth Vader still clings on to. Yep. The impression I have is that the overthrow of the Jedi happened generations ago and that Obi-Wan and, and, and Anakin were two of kind of like the last holdouts, you know, like that they, you know, maybe there was like some secret cabal of Jedi who was hiding from everything. And that these two were, were, were raised in that. And that the killing of, of Anakin by Vader was thought of as like, you know, maybe Vader was one of that last little cabal and that his killing was at a time when most people had already forgotten that the Jedi existed because what makes no sense here is like you said, all of this is supposed to be about, you know, maybe 20 years pass from this movie until the birth of Luke Skywalker. Uh, and then another 20 years pass. I think I'm that generous. I think it's more like 15 on the first one, but let's say 20. So 40 years pass between, um, everyone running around knowing the Jedi are everywhere in the galaxy to (laughs) people talking about the Jedi as this ancient religion. It's like, you know, I, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yep. Yep. Um, And during that time, like that 20 years is where the Jedi were very freaking active. Yeah. And as I'll keep touting the TV show, the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars does a very good job of showing that that's the time when a lot of people are like, maybe the Jedi aren't the heroes we think they are. They're, the Jedi are falling from their pedestals. Um, but you're right. That's like, what if, I mean, even just to say, let's keep it this movie. What if, you know, they're on Tatooine and, you know, Watto, they don't, there's none of this bet stuff, but Watto says like, sure, I can fix it for you, but, you know, give me till tomorrow. And Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are wandering around because first of all, I think, Obi-Wan has to be there meeting uh, Anakin because it makes no sense that Qui-Gon's the one to, to push it. We talked about that already. Yep. But what if, you know, they're just like, all right, what do we do on Tatooine? Well, everyone's going to this pod race thing. Let's check it out. And they happen to watch this little kid win a pod race in this amazing way. And Qui-Gon's like, does that seem like he has Jedi reflexes? And Obi-Wan's like, yeah, let, let's go chat with that kid and figure <laughs> out what's going on. <laughs> the Force is strong like, with him. I feel it. A, this means that the pod, the, in some ways, maybe the pod race is that we spend 20 minutes arguing about the betting on the pod race. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and watching him build the pod racer. What if we just did it as that? Just like a, a five minute, they wander in, they see him doing this incredible race. You get to see the incredible race, and that's how they know he's a Jedi, and that's why they try to talk to him. Yeah, I mean, the only, well, let's see. The only reason they need the pod race is for Qui-Gon to win the hyperdrive and win, you know, win Anakin. Um, And the only reason they need to, like, 
the only reason that that is actually needed is because Republican or Republic credits are no good there. If Republic credits were fine, but it does take time to rebuild a damn engine, (laughs) it would have been fine. Let me also say, by the way, in terms of Jedi ethics, um, if I go to some foreign country where, for whatever reason, American dollars are not accepted because the American dollar is just not a currency that's used there. If I use mind control to try and make a merchant take my American dollars, which will be utterly worthless to him, which now means that he has given me something of great value and I've given him nothing of value in return, the word for that is theft. Yeah. Um, Obi- Qui-Gon Jinn is trying to steal this motivator from Wat- Watto. Now, we later realize Watto owns slaves, and so we can say, like, maybe he's a scumbag and he should be stolen from. But Qui-Gon doesn't know any of that at this point. Like, he's just trying to steal from the guy. Um, yeah. It, it's a little thing, but it just always bothered me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that in watching this movie again, I, I noticed this time how just, like, how much Qui-Gon does the mind trick to try to get his way. Like, yeah. So many people tell him no, and he's just like, well, I, I always get my way. He yeah. mind tricks to try to, to, to convince people to go along with him. He tries to mind trick Watto. He ends up not being able to and has to use a different force power to get his way. Uh, and then whenever the council tells him no, he's just like, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Qui-Gon is the spoiled brat here. How much better would it have been if Qui-Gon lived to the second through the second movie? And so Qui-Gon was actually a big part of raising Anakin, and that's where Anakin gets because everything you just said about Qui-Gon, Anakin's the exact same way. Exactly. Oh my god, yes! Okay, so uh the outside of outside of the Jedi Council's uh wisdom and and uh ad, advised course of action. These two Jedi are both attempting to apprentice the same Padawan. And it's like, you know, it's like being pulled between divorced parents because yeah. Qui-Gon is the, the, um, the shitty parent <laughs> who's always manipulative and trying to get his way. And Obi-Wan is the, the straight laced guy who's just like, no, you know, this is the law. Yeah, I, I think you can even play it as, like, they're both kind of problematic. Because Obi-Wan's also the, like, no, you can't ever go play with your friends. You, you'll get attachments to your friends. That's not okay. You gotta stay in and, like, you know, practice your, your, your forms and stuff. Qui-Gon lets me go play with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think we've proven that there could be a very good Script Doctors episode here. But uh, <laughs> let, let's get back on track here just a bit. Okay. Um, cause I, we've already gone uh, an hour, so I want to not drag this out too long. Uh, and we've talked about this already, but I wanted to kind of go th- go through them officially. Um, let's talk about how does how do we feel this movie fits into the overall story? First of all, in world building, what do you think it does well or does not do well in terms of like building the overall Star Wars world? I think that there were ideas of of good world building in here. Like we got a little taste of the Republic, we got a little taste of the Jedi Council. We get a little taste of what happens on backwater planets. Like we got a little taste of diplomacy failing. Like we got all of those things that any one of those, God, excuse me. Any one of those could have been like a solid movie in this, in this entry or, you know, in this Canon uh, to help to build out this world and, and tell us more about it. But 
I feel like maybe they try to jam too many things in and try yeah. to tell too many stories, which is a constant problem in, in stories yeah. like this. I think that's fair. I think I agree with you. Like, I feel like a lot of the world they build is quite interesting. Like, I think the visuals of Coruscant are fantastic. I think like the, you know, seeing that, like learning that the big problem with the Senate is bureaucracy. Like anyone who's ever followed what happens when one nation invades another and that invaded nation goes to the UN and asks for help. Like the Naboo story, like that resonates is 100% real. Like, you know, and, and, and one thing I hadn't really thought about until this, this time I watched it is it actually does a kind of an interesting job of setting up the separatists because, and we'll talk about later movies, I'm very frustrated that they don't tell us more about why the separatists are separating. But one of the things that's like hinted at at least is the idea that part of it's because the Republic claims to be helping all these people who it doesn't. And yeah. so, you know, I can understand, like if I was a citizen of Naboo, I would 100% be ready to join the separatist movement at this point. Because what I would see is that my queen went to the Republic. The Republic said, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to spend two years in diplomatic wrangling. And so my queen came back with these two kind of off-the-wall Jedi and made an alliance with the Gungans and won herself. Um, like, oh, Where God, was that no, story? Thinking, what, if, what if Naboo had been an active part of the separatist movement? Oh, okay. We're not going to go too deep on that, but yeah. So <laughs> there's world building. Um, what do you think yeah. about the, its, its role in the grand story arc? Uh, honestly, it felt light in in the in the grand story arc. I think yeah. that this one was the the world building uh, episode, so to speak, uh, to kind of establish the foundation, and then it did a a piss poor job of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as far as the grand story, you know it. It set the board, kind of. Yeah. But yeah, it, ultimately was just kind of lackluster in all of its performances. Here's the, I've never really put it in these terms before, but I think this is helping. Like, when I think of a prequel, I don't want something that tells me what I already know. You know? I, yes. I, I know that Han Solo won the Millennium Falcon gambling against Lando Calrissian. I don't really need to see that. Or if I do, I don't need it to be a big deal, you know? And I, I, and the same way, kind of like, you know, I know that like, I I feel like this movie just, or let me put it this way. You can tell me, you can show me the things that I already know, but you have to mostly tell me, you have to fill in the gaps that I didn't know. You know, you have to tell me why is it that, Oh, and, and like, I wish someone had just sat down and watched new hope or maybe watched the whole original trilogy and said, what are all the things that we say, but we never really explain? We never really explain, or we never really show. Why does Obi-Wan feel so guilty? Why did the Empire take over from the Republic? All these things. Um, Because I I really like the term you used. It puts the pieces on the board, but it doesn't give us any reason to care about that. You know? Yeah. Um, What about in terms of uh, any Easter eggs that you really liked, or inconsistencies that you thought were kind of dumb? No, we've... No. No, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, mm. Now, I mean, like I, there are all kinds of things that are, you know, little Easter eggs that that could be thrown in, like oh look, lightsabers and Jedi, and you know they they use this power like a lot, and you know force push and pull, and like here's. <clears throat> 
And here's two guys that are like fully developed from, I guess from birth, maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as actual Jedi. Like this is what it looks like. You know, this is what Luke could have been like if he had been you know discovered young or whatever. Right. Like, this is how a Jedi is supposed to be trained and raised. Right. This is the, this is the, the, the pinnacle that he's supposed to uh, strive toward. And, you know, knowing how strong Yoda was and having them like, even, even though everybody hates the midichlorians thing, I think it's, it's a natural way to go when you've got this thing kind of built up. And like you said, it's, it's evangelical almost to be like, Oh yeah, science proves it. It's right here. I think that the midichlorians thing, especially them taking a blood sample from Anakin and putting it through and being like, wow, he's got, he's got more midichlorian power than master Yoda. That's a big deal. Like that, that is a, a firm foundation of like, holy crap, this guy is legit and is going to be big. And I think that that was a great little, a great little thing to, to drop in there, but then was like wildly inconsistent later. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing with, the, with the Easter eggs and the things is, is, is there's just so much there's so much stuff that's inconsistent. For me, the biggest one I want to talk about though is I feel like they want this is supposed to be take the small because in some ways the original three movies are very small. Like we go to all these different worlds, but we only ever see the war. We never see what's happening out. You know, we see one criminal overlord, but we never really see like. What's life like for the average person on the average planet in the in the Empire now? Yeah. You know? And this movie is supposed to do that. I felt like it kind of does the opposite because it tries to make so many things so tied in together. And for me, the most grievous sin of that is introducing R2-D2 and C-3PO this early into the movie. Oh my god, um, yes. Because like, then it's just like, okay, so everything has always been connected and it's always been together all the time. Um... It also tells me that astromech droids haven't advanced in technology in 30 years, which seems a little bit weird. Um, but also, like, but but also just this idea of, um, I mean, first of all, it just causes huge plot inconsistencies because we'll get them more in the later movies. But like, Obi Wan at one point says, like, I don't remember having owned a droid before, when we know that he spent a huge amount of time with these literal two droids. Um, yeah, so it just I, I, I just hated that. I, I didn't think it told us anything good about Anakin's character. I didn't think having R2, you know, be a Nabooian droid that helped. I, it just, it all seemed so dumb. It just seemed like George Lucas trying to do like, aha, isn't this cute? We can sell more R2 toys now Yeah. when we just didn't need it. Yeah, and then, <laughs> it's, sorry, the, the way that you, the way that you pointed out, it's like, well, I mean, Obi-Wan was quite old at that point senility's a bitch man well but also think about it I, I i went back and i did the math and this is all from like established things obi-wan is 56 years old in a new hope oof <laughs> does he look like he's in his he, mid-50s no especially since we've established that jedi age like are in perfect health and age a lot slower than everyone else yeah they're like D monks yeah ah uh, so. that's rough damn yeah, having everyone be like eighteen in this movie again makes no sense. Yep. Um, all right. Any other kind of final thoughts? I got one or two, just like small things that I, I just were were dumb and bothered me. <laughs> well, it feels like this entire film franchise, just the films, because 
like you said, everything is connected to everything. Oh my God. Like this whole thing is like, it's set in West Virginia, you know, like everybody knows everybody, everybody's connected, you know, everybody is in the same family even. And there's sister kissing. I I do have some listeners in West Virginia. Please don't make them stop listening, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. So no, it could be like this whole, I, I get where you're coming from. This whole thing is set in like one little community where everybody knows everybody and everybody's connected. Like it doesn't have to be West Virginia necessarily, but you know, it could be Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm from. There was some sister mm-hmm. kissing. Come on. Like, yeah, that's fair. That's but fair. like, expand it. You have a whole galaxy. You have a whole galaxy. It's really far away. And it's a long ass time ago. Use that. You like, oh, you've got this. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm very frustrated about it. But <laughs> if you tell me that there is a an entire galaxy and we've got ships that can jump from planet to planet in different star systems, and they have a discussion about it in this movie where Anakin says, do all of them have planets on, like, in these star systems? Has anybody gone to them all? That sets up so much that you could, you could work with. Yeah. And yet it just, it just keeps coming back to the same things. (sighs) Is there any reason why Anakin has to be from Tatooine? Because that's where Luke was from. But Luke is hidden away from from uh, Anakin, Darth Vader, at the end of it. So why why did Luke have to be put on the same planet that his father was from? Because that's where his uncle was. I guess. Like, I mean, that's what it. That's what they said in the end of three. Uncle yeah. Owen was there, and. They uh, they went back there in the third one, right? Because Anakin would never think to go back to his brother to see if maybe any of his kids had hung around. Um, half brother, half brother didn't even exist <sighs> at this point. Anyway, we'll 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 get to that. But consistency's there. Um, couple other just small things I wanted to rank on, and and fans, I promise you, I mean. We're ranking on this movie hard because we love these movies so much when they're good. And we're going to have a lot of praise for the the, the other movies. And I, even here, I think, like I said, there were some good things, to be sure, but a yeah. lot of bad. Um, the scene where they're going through the planet's core in the ship, which, the, again, the <laughs> geology of this makes no sense whatsoever. But putting that aside, just in terms of basic movie making, you don't use the same trick twice. It's yeah. just boring. And so one sh- one fish attacks their ship <clears throat> and then is bitten and eaten by another ship, uh, by another fish. I don't quite understand the biosphere of how these huge megafauna and, you know, fish, fish live, but sure, fine. <laughs> Five minutes later, their ship is attacked by another big fish. And how are they rescued? Because another big fish eats it. Like, yeah. And then, like, that is a, that's a plant with no payoff or a plant with the same payoff or the same, like, the plant is the payoff, kind of. Like, Mm -hmm. because those are so close together, it's basically worthless. Like, it's pointless to the film. Get rid of it. But the line that he says of where he said, Qui-Gon says, "There's there's always a bigger fish. Like, that's important. That could be integral to his character. That has so much, um, 
that has so much implication that this movie could run on and it just doesn't. <sighs> anyway. See, it's a little bit cathartic though to to look at it, <laughs> it and pick out the good <laughs> stuff, strip away the the bad and try to rebuild it in a good image. And that's why we have Monday Morning Movie Medics. So as a way of, uh, I think we're about wrapping up. So Jeff, why don't you tell us a little more about uh, where, if people are listening, enjoying listening to you, what other podcasts do you do at the moment? We started with the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast as you know a way to get my Marvel fandom out there uh, because I was just talking to Matt about it all the time with no real uh, benefit. <laughs> so we took that to the internet and we have Stranded Panda as our network and new on that network is Monday Morning Movie Medics, which is my idea of... I I took the water cooler discussions that we have where, you know, a coworker and I sit down and say, Hey, did you see that, that movie over the weekend? Or like, what did you watch over the weekend? And we talk about, you know, what movies we, we saw. And then we, you know, if it were, if it was not a great movie, we come up with ways where it could have been a better movie and how we might be able to save it. And then of course, those kinds of discussions get brought into the podcast, Monday Morning Movie Medics, available on iTunes, everywhere, uh, everywhere your podcasts are found. Um, and we just started with the X-Men Apocalypse arc, and we're rebuilding that Ooh. movie. Um, it is a, okay. It's a four-episode arc to start with. Okay, okay. I, I'm definitely excited for that. I know you've been talking about this a lot. Um, listeners, definitely please give it, uh, please check it out. And also please, um, uh, you know, write them a review, because... For new podcasts when it's just getting started, getting a good review, especially a five-star review, um, A, it helps them. It helps them know what's working, what's not, and how to make it a better podcast. But also it makes sure that they're high in the ranks for the podcast catchers and, and so that more people are going to listen and, and more people are joining the conversations. On that subject, um, thank you to you fans for, for checking this out as we do a kind of new thing, talking about the movies. Would love to know what you think. Um, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on email. All the, all the information is in the show notes and on the, the Facebook page. Face, uh, uh, if you search for Star Wars Universe Podcast, you should find it. But really, just wherever you got this podcast, the show notes should be in there. Just click click on the link that's right in there. Um, let us know what you thought of this episode, where you agreed with us, where you disagreed. If this felt cathartic to you, if you want to tell us you love Phantom Menace, you want to tell us more about what you like it, please do. The other thing you can do, though, is um, the next movie we're going to talk about is the next in the sequ- series, uh, Attack of the Clones. We'll be talking about that in two weeks. So... If you've got thoughts about Attack of the Clones, write into us. Tell us. Um, I think it's generally regarded as not a great movie. Um, but <laughs> <clears throat> let us know. If if you want to just join in the cathartic ranting, let us know. If you want to um, tell us why you like parts of the movie, because I do think there are some parts that are quite good. Um, you know, let us know that. Uh, and it can either just be something we think about, or if you want, I'll happily read your comment on air uh, and, and talk about how we feel about what, what you had to say. So... It's a great way to uh, support the podcast, get your own voice heard, be part of the conversation. That's at the end of the day. Why we do this is to have these conversations because, um, Jeff, I don't know about you, but uh, (laughs) I started doing this podcast because I realized I was spending way too much time, you know, before COVID, you know, sitting around the water cooler with my friends, you know, just shooting the breeze about ethical questions in superhero stuff or Star Wars stuff and eventually decided... I'm going to waste so much time talking about it. I might as well be productive about it. And put <laughs> might as well record it and put it on the internet. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's why we do this kind of stuff. Please write in. Let us know what you think. Um, thank you so much for being a, a listener. Jeff, thank you so much for being a part of this. Have a great day. I have spoken. Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs>